good to be back with all of you after a couple of weeks. Reprieve. I do appreciate, and I know my colleagues share with me appreciation for the time you give us to be away, to rest, and find uh, relaxation and renewal. It sort of rewires our brains so we can be ready on the other side uh, to keep doing a good job. Very grateful to Michael Hester and to Austin Maynard for their beautiful sermons. Uh, they blessed us each one. I'm very grateful that we have an abundance of riches in our congregation of folks who are equipped to share with us the Word of God so eloquently. I see Michael here today. Thank you, Michael. Um, well, why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Jesus says so nicely. It's a tough question from a Jesus who can be tough to hear in this chapter. First verses begin with the troubling scene of people trampling on each other just to get a front row to hear Jesus, and then when they do, they get an earful. Jesus has a snappy sermon starter for them today about hypocrisy, <laughs> and then he promises the, the eventual public disclo disclosure of all the things that we say in secret. And then we get a parable where uh, God calls a rich man a fool and another where a harsh boss beats one of his slaves. And by the end of this raucous passage, Jesus is telling us how distressed he is and how he wants to start fire to the whole world and that his mission is, in fact, not to bring peace, even though that's where we hear in the rest of the gospel, but division. And division to nuclear families, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, daughters-in-law and mothers-in-law. You probably didn't need as much kindling for that last one. But, <laughs> but he, didn't say, he didn't say uncles and nieces. <clears throat> Why couldn't you see this coming, Jesus says, just sounding so frustrated. But he, d he does, in a way, stand like a meteorologist in front of a green screen. And he's pointing this direction to a cold front coming from the east and a warm front emerging from the south. You can already see the cumulus clouds forming, he says. And you know it's going to rain. But then he turns to the camera and he points his, his little laser pointer at all of us. You hypocrites, he says. Um, Jesus had not yet learned about church growth strategies. How have you gotten so good at five-day and seven-day and even ten-day forecasts? Predicting weather events. And how have you mastered technology and thermodynamics and the Doppler radar and the dew point and the isobar and the distinctions of barometric pressures and my personal favorite weather term, upper-level disturbances? And yet, you still can't recognize what time it is. How do you not know how to interpret the present time? It's what the Greeks called kairos time. You've probably heard the distinction before between kairos time, chronos time. There are different kinds of time the Greeks had concepts for. Unlike chronos time, chronological, kairos is a kind of time that has little to do with specific hours and dates and much more to do with pregnant moments. Seasons, eras, 
Jesus is concerned here not with the time of day, but with the times in which we live. For instance, we hear people say, I had a wonderful time. Or these are strange times. Or we hear quite often today, we live in such divided times. Sometimes not realizing that perhaps Jesus might have had something to do with instigating that. Now, the Gospel of Luke opens with Zechariah missing this kind of time. He just misses it. The angel comes to him. He says, Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth is going to give birth to a great man. Call him John. And and Zechariah's like, now, wait, hold your horses here, angel. Uh, I'm on up in years, and so is my old lady. He misses it. And consequently, he is rendered mute. Later in Luke, Jesus tells of how the time will come soon when the great temple of Jerusalem just looked like it was going to be there forever. It was going to come tumbling down, not one stone laid upon another. And why, Jesus says in his King James Version accent, because we knewest not the time of thy visitation. I didn't catch the time didn't recognize Jesus when he showed up. I, I remember it was nine years ago this, this summer. It was at Moral Monday protest in Raleigh. The wonderful preacher Bill, Bill Turner was slated to speak to the crowd. And he approached the microphone with a calm authority and a steady but commanding voice. And within earshot of the legislative building now, he spoke in the black tradition of musicality and the tradition of the prophets. He said, they take from those that have not and give those that have. They lay heavy burdens on those who already have heavy burdens. They have not listened to the prophets of yesteryear and yesterday, but now they will hear from us. And then he said in an ominous tone, and the storm clouds are gathering. I remember looking at my friend beside me and going, whoa. Now, I know all this sounds quite ominous, but there's much more to it and much good news to it. Exactly a week ago this morning, I was sitting in the sand and listening to the waves, uh, waiting for the sunrise. And this is just something I like to do. I like to go out and watch the sunrise over the water. Uh, But this particular was the last day of vacation, and I wanted to see the sunrise It had been kind of cloudy, and I go out there the last day, and it's still cloudy, but just where the sun's going to be. Two huge storm clouds, cumulus, or maybe cumulonimbus. I don't know the difference. Big ones, anvil-shaped, dropping rain out in the distance. Sun rose, I couldn't see it, but the light hit the opposite side of those clouds and sent a refraction, like a prism of light of blue and gray across the whole sky from the eastern horizon to the west. I was spellbound. And just as with this passage, we can see the bad news in the east, the clouds in the way, but let light hit this passage in a special way, and we can see its beauty spanning the heavens. So here goes. I've come to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. 
When I was in middle school, the kids had a saying, oh, he's starting some static. Somebody was starting something, starting a fight or starting an argument. Oh, you start, don't start static with me. Well, here comes Jesus. I'm going to start some static. Jesus has come to start static with the whole world. It sounds like bad news if and only if we like the status quo, if we like the way things are and we think they're the way things are, the way things ought to be, Jesus would like a word with us. Write that down, just how you think the world ought to be, and Jesus stands right under it with a lighter. So if we're benefiting from the way things are, we don't want fire starters. We don't want Jesus. We want fire prevention. We question the prophets, and we, we often dismiss the strange people who enter our lives and expose our lives and judge our lives. But throughout this passage, Jesus is echoing the prophets of Israel. He sounds like them. Go, just go read Isaiah all the way. Read all the way through Amos, or Hosea, and, and then go read this passage, and they match the same key. The, the prophets were quite fond of fire's ability to create a level playing field. Hear the good news. Fire does not, it does destroy but it also undermines and it cleanses and it purifies. Think of a forest after a fire. It isn't long before the saplings rise up and now what couldn't survive before it can now thrive. Sprouts of pastel green color the forest floor. New creation. Good news. But even setting fire aside, there's another part of this passage that's practically blood-curdling for the family values enthusiasts. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, in-laws, divided by Jesus' own hand. Now this cuts close to the bone today, riven as we are by partisanship and different ways of life and different emphases on what matters most, all of us have a story to tell by now of someone that we've known and loved our whole lives who has shown up to us in some way, shape, or form in recent years as a stranger. So we're really not talking here about who's not doing the chores in the family or who puts the toilet paper on the wrong direction. This, this has to do with matters of the heart. Sometimes family members and friends will differ so deeply about what matters most that they'll go their separate ways. I remember a divinity school student at one of my classes, David, in his late 20s, he had not grown up a Christian. Uh, neither had his partner. Uh, somewhere along the way, he had come to a saving knowledge of, of Jesus and then ended up in, of all places, seminary. So, David, you look like you're having a hard day. He said, look, my marriage, she told me I didn't sign up for all this Jesus stuff. I am so grateful to have had parents who, when I told them uh, the claim that had been laid on my life, they said, well, I don't know, okay. The, the parents who uh, dedicated me 
and took me to church for discipleship class and, and made me go to church when I didn't want to. Um, and who taught me what it looks like to be baptized. And uh, who, when travel soccer got in the way, said, look, this isn't us. We're church people. They said, we hear you. We'll be behind you. Because I laid down a gauntlet. And they said, okay. Where's the good news here? There's a place. Where's the gospel? I believe the good news is, at least in part, the indirect conclusion we may draw from such division. The blue refraction of light across the span of the text is that life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus is so revelatory, so world-turning, that we cannot have seen or heard about it without making a meaningful response. We know that Jesus despises the lukewarm life open to Revelation 3, and he spits out a whole church, uh, not ours, different name, because it's neither hot nor cold. Nobody knows what it stands for. And again, like the prophets, he echoes Elijah, how long will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. We cannot have a lukewarm opinion about a man claiming to be from God about a man being raised from the dead, about a man who is Lord, not alongside other lords, but who is Lord of lords. His life, his death, his resurrection, his very existence demands a response. You cannot encounter him and stay moderate. The way we respond may put us at odds even with those closest to us, with those who raised us or those we've raised. And so, um, so to be sure, this is not the first text that I would have chosen for a service with child dedication. <laughs> hmm, this looks great. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters divided. But I also believe this could be really a special invitation to our young parents today. Jesus has started static with us all. He has thrown down the gauntlet at everyone's feet. So recognize that you, raising these children, you may also need to make decisions about your faith that will inconvenience your lives and the lives of your children. Sometimes you may find yourselves at odds with your children, just sometimes. So parents and children and in-laws, all of you, give thanks to God today that in Christ there are things worth living and dying for. There are things worth suffering for. There are things worth sitting on a different side of the Thanksgiving table over because we know that through all this sifting we're actually learning more about each other and maybe in some strange, mysterious way, we're learning how to love one another even more deeply than we ever thought we could. All of the luxury of the superficial relationships have come to an end in Jesus Christ. And I think that is good news. There are things worth starting static over. And here the best news of all for today. 
after all the fire and all the division and all the, the storm clouds gathering, know this. God in Christ has given us the ability through worship and prayer to see what's coming. He's given us the power to see with this vision. He's shown us the way that the world's story begins and the way it ends. So friends, the good news, hear it today. God in Christ has thrown before us all a gauntlet, a time of decision. And we know what time it is because we have been given the Spirit of God in Christ in the waters of baptism. It's a miracle.